Hey, I'm Jesse. Let's have a devotion. We're in Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until today. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. We're going to spend the next few days going through this text because it is potent. It could be the scariest warning in Jesus' whole ministry. Me personally, as someone who uh, sometimes, unfortunately, because of the stricter judgment thing, I'm called to preach, I'm particularly scared of Matthew chapter 7. But this, for the original recipients and for some of us today, uh, particularly those whose whole faith rests upon miracles and who would deny Christ, this is the scariest and sternest, perhaps the harshest warning in Jesus' whole preaching ministry. Let's go back and talk about it. Verse 20. Then he proceeded to denounce the towns where most of his miracles were done. That's fascinating because we don't know what miracles were done in Chorazin. The gospel accounts are not exhaustive. In fact, John's gospel acknowledges this, saying that if we were to include all the miracles that he had done, then all the books in all the world wouldn't contain them all. Now, you've heard my take on that at the end of our, our, our series in uh, in, 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 in John, the, uh, but for now, I want to talk about what this indicates, that there were evidently tons of miracles in Chorazin. We know some of the miracles in Bethsaida. We have three or four of those accounts. We're going to look at those just to get some context here. But it's, it's remarkable because Jesus did more miracles than are accounted for in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the opening of Acts, his words in Revelation, his reference in the epistles, and all the miracles of the apostles, which can be attributed, of course, to, to, to Jesus. We only know like this much of all of his miracles. So don't demand more. And as we go through the, this, this text, you're going to see why it's not good to demand signs and wonders. That if you are one of those who's demanding that God give you a miracle and give you a sign before you'll believe in him, watch out. You're literally literally one of the people that Jesus warned and warned about. Here's, uh, here's the first woe. It's in verse 21. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, Tyre is spelled T-Y-R-E, by the way, if you're not reading along, uh, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. But I tell you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. So he calls out, he calls out Chorazin and Bethsaida, likening them to Tyre and Sidon. Uh, Tyre and Sidon, let's start with that. Tyre, T-Y-R-E, was so notoriously bad of a town that it gets called out by the prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel 28. And the artful duality of Ezekiel's prophetic text in Ezekiel 28 is where we get much of our description biblically of Satan, Lucifer. It's where we get it because this king of Tyre was so wicked and so depraved. He was a real human being. We can tell that 
God is doing more than just calling out the literal physical king of Tyre. He's also likening him to the devil. I mean, it's just so, it's so clear. It's so profound. This, this, this city of Tyre and Sidon, I think if, if I'm, if I remember my, my geography just right, I don't, uh, because of my microphone, I can't go check on my atlas for you. I see my atlas over there. So forgive me, uh, you know, uh, if, if I'm wrong about this ge geographically, I want to say that they were near Mount Carmel. Uh, this, this little thing that juts out into the Mediterranean Sea uh, on, on the shore you know, of Israel, uh, north, northern Israel, kind of going into the Mediterranean Sea. And it's where some of these pagan practices were, were denounced by the prophet Ezekiel, including around Mount Carmel, the marking of one's bodies for the dead. God pronounced against this practice. This, you know, in some Christian traditions, ends up becoming... Um, a denouncement of the practice of getting tattoos on your body. It's not really what's going on here. Rather, that was marking the marking of their bodies for the dead in a pagan ritual at Mount Carmel. That's what Old Testament Israelites were forbidden from participating in because it's demonic worship. Now, here we are, not only, not only we're not dealing with that particular practice, we're also uh, in the new covenant. Okay, so don't, don't get wrapped up in that. But Tyre and Sidon had such a bad reputation, particularly because of Ezekiel's denouncement of them, that the original hearers of these words would have shuddered. Like, wow, you're, you're saying that Bethsaida and Chorazin are worse off than Tyre and Sidon? Tyre was so bad that their king was likened to the devil himself. But Bethsaida and Chorazin are even worse? That's for perspective here. Ezekiel 28 gives the background to this Tyre and Sidon pronouncement. Uh, there's something else here too. Let me, let's look at the miracles that were actually that actually took place in Bethsaida. Okay, one of them is in Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. Okay, so we have this crowd who's gathered in, in, in Mark 6 and he's going. Uh, he's going to, he's sending his disciples ahead to go to Bethsaida. He's going to catch up to them because he's going to walk on water. Okay. So there's one miracle that's done en route to Bethsaida. And then in Mark chapter eight, verse 22, they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Okay. That's Mark eight. This blind man would be healed. Then there's another one in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter nine, verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus all they had done. He took them along and withdrew privately to a town called Bethsaida. This is where we would see the feeding of the 5,000. So the walking on water was done en route to Bethsaida. The healing of a blind man took place there, and the feeding of the 5,000 takes place there. This, these are obvious, physics-defying, profound miracles. We don't even know what kind of miracles took place in Chorazin. But we know that the opening verse of this particular aspect of the passage, verse 20, says that the miracles that were, that were performed in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum are the locales for the majority of Jesus' miracles. So just, I mean, wrap your head around that because we have miracles of Jesus accounted for in the Gospels, but we don't even know, we don't, we don't even know a fraction of them all. It's really, really incredible. We know this from John's Gospel, but the way that, the way that these woes and proclamations frame it, it really gives us uh, chilling perspective. Like, wow, I mean, how could anybody deny that Jesus was Lord? And yet that is what happened in Chorazin, in Bethsaida, and like we'll talk about in, uh, in tomorrow's devotion, Capernaum. But there's something else here. These towns would evidently 
face a less severe judgment if they had received less obvious revelation. This does not speak at all to universal salvation. We know that if we die without Christ, we are, though the wrath of God remains on us, that by default, because of our sins, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. But we do see in this text a greater severity of God's wrath based on the revelation. So wrath is proportionate to revelation. Because these people had watched Jesus walk on water, feed 5,000 feed 5, people, potentially just 5,000 men. It could have been 10,000, 15,000 people, who knows? And, and because we, they, Jesus had healed a blind man right in front of them, and they corporately, in large part, still denied him, their judgment is now more intense. The severity of their suffering in hell forevermore is actually worse because they saw miracles and still denied Jesus. Now, just wait. Tomorrow we're going to talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, and then we're going to kind of convey that to our context. Like tomorrow we'll talk about Capernaum and Sodom and Gomorrah, and the day after that we'll talk about America today, now, modern-day culture. But Bethsaida, Chorazin, you saw miracles. Okay, Bethsaida, you saw the walking on water. You literally ate food that Jesus miraculously provided, and yet you deny his lordship. They will not be sated. No number of miracles would be enough for them. That's telling my skeptical friend. And if you're not my skeptical friend, if you're my Christian friend, share this with your skeptical friend, because your skeptical friend might not be watching this YouTube channel, but you are. Don't demand that God give you a miracle in order for you to believe in him. And don't decide that because you once asked God for a miracle and he didn't give it to you, that you're not going to believe in him. You place yourself squarely among the residents of towns then. You know, if you were to receive that miracle and still not believe, you might as well be issued your ID with a Bethsaida address on it. Like you, you might as well be a citizen of Chorazin and Capernaum. You don't know what you're asking for when you demand that miracle. And if you receive that miracle, what you have is not faith. It's quite logical. I know such a man. In fact, you'll see this man on Fox News. I have sat down at the table at the taco shop and eaten with this guy who appears on Fox News. And he is a begrudging Christian. It's because his house was inhabited by demons and a Catholic priest came and exorcised the demons and they were set free from this demonic oppression. And for that reason, he quite rationally, quite logically, uh, not, in, not as in Jesus the Logos per se, but by, like, by way of the obvious proof before him, begrudgingly became a Christian. Right? And, and for him, it was, uh, it was all too shocking. Now, there's also no repentance in his life, and there's no Holy Spirit's presence. For him, it's quite a rational deal. Like, okay, evidently demons are real, and Jesus gets rid of demons. I think I want to wear my Jesus pennant. Right? <laughs> that's not a thing, by the way. I'm just saying that that's his relationship with God. It's not a relationship at all. Don't demand signs and wonders and miracles. Because if you get them and you still don't believe, you're all the more condemned. I'm still praying for this friend of mine. I'm still praying that I see. I saw him on the show uh, Kennedy not long ago. And she was very kind to him. He's very eloquent and, and he, did, he did really well. He, he wrote a great book and he's doing a great job. But 
wow, if things were made in the same way and Christ comes back or he passes away before we, we want him to, you know, expect that he would, uh, the fact that he's borne witness to miracles is going to be all the more a strict judgment because there's no repentance and no confession of Jesus as Lord in his life. Don't demand signs and wonders and miracles. You don't know what you're asking for. And if your decision that God is real is based on that, you've done nothing more than confess the exact same faith that every demon in hell has. They know that there's one God and they shudder at the thought of it. You are literally no better off than a demon if you use miraculous proof to confirm there's one God. That is the exact state of things at Bethsaida and Chorazin. You are actually worse off because of your miracle. Instead, instead, here's all the miracle you need. Are you ready for this? Jesus rose from the dead. You believe that one. Believe that miracle. Believe it right here in your heart. And confess that Jesus is Lord. According to Romans 10, 9, that is a miracle of the Holy Spirit happening in your heart. And you are saved. You're saved by that miracle, not by some miracle that you're demanding. There's been enough miracles, more than enough miracles. For Chorazin, for Bethsaida, for Capernaum, evidently there were too many miracles. Here's the miracle. Jesus rose again from the dead. That's what Romans 10, 9 says. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's all the miracle any of us will ever need.